Hi everybody and welcome to New Hope Community Church. Whether it's your first time here today or you join us regularly, we're really glad that you have joined us. My name is Ian Buckley and I'm the founding pastor of New Hope Community Church. Our hope today is that you will grow in your faith as we worship together and as we study God's word together. And especially as we navigate the crisis that we're facing with the COVID-19 with calmness and confidence. Now, I I want to start today with a question. How many of you remember the movie, The Perfect Storm? Remember it had George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, and it tells a true story about a tiny fishing boat called the Andrea Gale, and it left Gloucester Harbour in Massachusetts and headed in to the North Atlantic. Actually, nobody ever saw that tiny fishing boat again and the six crew, uh, apart from bits of debris which floated around. Now, the author, Sebastian Junger, immortalized that fate of the Andrea Gale in his book entitled The Perfect Storm. Now, that movie brought the perfect storm term into common use. And typically, it's it's seen to mean the worst possible scenario. Now, today in our faster and complex world, a few squalls can quickly become a perfect storm. So when multiple conditions converge to produce a threatening, critical area of our lives, such as issues with finance, issues with relationships, issues with jobs, or even potentially health, we wonder how much can we endure, how much we as a family can endure, as an individual can endure, how much can our businesses endure. So a perfect storm is a great way to describe what we're going through right now. Actually, friends, what I want to suggest to you is that this may be the calm before the real storm hits. And it's not hard to feel some apprehension and uncertainty that come alongside serious storms. What we need in a serious storm is a perspective on life that takes into account the reality of the storm, not denying the storm, but the reality of it, but also reassures our hearts that there's a safe harbor to weather the storms of life. Now, that's where Jesus completely changes the way that we look at our troubles. That's where he comes in. Christians look at things in a different light, in the light of God's goodness, in the light of his power, and in the light of his wisdom. So, what do you do when a perfect storm comes into your life? And how do we manage when unexpected turbulent winds that we didn't even see in any way, shape, or form, they come in and they create not just ripples, they create large waves that can feel like they're going to swamp us. Today, I want to look at the life of Jesus. And by doing that, I want us to look at his life in a way that helps us deal with the storms that we and our loved ones are facing right now. And I want to begin with the first one. I want to talk about the reality of the prospect of storms in our lives. If you have your Bibles, Mark 4, 35-37. On the same day, when the evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along on the boat as he was, And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. 
Now, earlier in the day, sick people had been pressing on Jesus from every side. People had flocked to him for to listen to his teaching, which is nothing like that of the Pharisees. It was at a whole new dimension. Mark 4.1 actually records that the people crowned him almost into the sea earlier that day. So what the disciples and Jesus do, they put Jesus in the boat and they push him out a little way. And he sits there and he continues to teach them. Now then, towards evening, Jesus and the disciples were exhausted from a full day of ministry. So then Jesus leads them, notice this, to cross for Capernaum, which is his town, hometown, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Now the Sea of Galilee is about 686 feet below sea level, at the bottom of a rift valley between the Arabian Desert and the Mediterranean Sea. And winds can unexpectedly whip over the top and down into the valley so violently that they, even modern day captains, keep close checks on the weather forecasts because it's so unpredictable. Now, for those of you who are teachers and students, any student knows that teaching always leads to testing. That's the purpose of teaching, to make sure you get it. So the purpose of a test is to demonstrate mastery of a skill or a subject and to reveal the areas that are going to need improvement, right? And we know that as Jesus conducted his ministry of teaching and preaching, the twelve heard the Lord repeat lessons many times over. Undoubtedly, some of those disciples could recite them from memory. They knew what was coming next. And they were probably able to convince an audience that they understood every word. But had they truly learned anything? This test is going to tell all. If you have your outline, again, I'd encourage you to pick it up and follow me along here. Mark 4.37. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. So as the boat was filling with water, the hearts of the disciples were already starting to fill with fear. They were filling up with fear. And just as sudden storms are inevitable on the Sea of Galilee, sudden storms can descend on our lives from multiple directions very quickly. COVID-19 was a good example of a sudden storm that came into our lives that nobody saw. One day it was calm, we're going about our normal routine, and then suddenly change came. Change came personally, it came vocationally, and it certainly has come financially to many. Now notice number two on your outline, the paradox of storms in our lives. I want to talk a little bit about that paradox. See, the disciples, if you notice carefully, were actually following Jesus' lead in doing what they were doing what they were told. They were doing God's will. But paradoxically, they were experiencing unforeseen hardship. They were being tossed by a serious storm. This is not just a mediocre type of deal. Following God's will. In fact, these guys were no fair weather sailors. These were serious fishermen who understood that particular lake very well. And they were concerned that they were in danger of drowning. Now, there's some insight here. 
The insight here is that storms are not always punishment for a lack of obedience. Sometimes God can lead us into difficult storms and difficult areas to test us. Now these men were right in this spot because they were obedient. And they said, let's go. Jesus wants to go from A to B, from Capernaum to the other side. We're in. Let's do it. They were obedient. That's a paradox. And yet they're in a pickle. So we've seen the prospect of storms in the disciples' lives and our lives. We've seen the paradox that is there. They're following God's lead, yet they're now in a pickle. Now I want to look at number three. The presence, his presence, in the storms of our lives. Mark 4, 38. But he, speaking of Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Now, the disciples became terrified. And again, remember guys, these was, many of these disciples were seasoned fishermen, accustomed to the violent nature of this particular body of water. And they understood probably better than most the gravity of their situation. They'd been in many storms before. But the question they put to the Lord, however, still reveals their spiritual immaturity. They still didn't get it. They understood the sea and its dangers, but they still didn't understand who Jesus actually was. So this test exposed their lack of understanding. And what was that? Specifically, that the disciples had not figured out who was in their presence. That he was God, the authority in the universe. He had the power to do anything. Now, they knew Jesus was there, but here's the point. They did not understand that he was God. Therefore, they were unaware of God's presence. Now, remember in this context that the 12 knew how God had led Moses and the Israelites through the Red Sea. So they had an awareness that he could control the sea and the wind. But what they were unaware of is that same God was in their boat right there and then. By the way, this is the only time in the Bible that we're told that Jesus slept, and it was in the middle of a fierce storm. So, that night on the Sea of Galilee, an exhausted Jesus slept on the cushion in the rear of a fairly large boat, probably with two decks, with the waves crashing all about them. Then we see the disciples despairing for their lives. That's quite the picture, if you can imagine it. So, We've seen that there's a prospect of storm in our lives. We've seen that often there's a paradox of the storms in our lives. And three, God's presence. We're wanting to know now that God's presence is always in the storms of our lives. Now we come to number four, the peace in the storms of our lives that we need. Mark 4.39 And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, 
and there was a great calm. Now, when Jesus emerged from the hold of the ship, he then goes and exercises divine power over his creation. So Jesus rebukes the storm like a parent would, reprimanding a toddler throwing a tantrum. This amazing display of miraculous power should have sorted any remaining misunderstanding in the minds of the disciples as to who Jesus was. Now remember, the disciples knew the Old Testament. And that the Old Testament tells us very clearly that God is the only one who has power over nature. Notice this verse, Psalm 89.9. You, God, rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And another verse which clearly shows this, Psalm 107.29. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Now, aren't you thankful for the many times that he quiets your heart while you're in the thick of it? I sure am. Because remember, friends, peace is not the absence of stress, but it's knowing we have the presence of the Savior in our situation. And we've experienced that recently in the middle of this pickle. Now let's look at number five, the purposes of the storms in our lives. Did Jesus bring about the storm just so he could calm it and build a disciple's faith? No! This fallen world has enough storms and he builds our faith by using the storms that are already here. Jesus used the storm as a teachable moment, even in some senses as COVID-19 has brought us this teachable moment. What does that teachable moment mean to you now? Maybe it means to slow down. Maybe it's to take some more time with God. Maybe it's to spend time on those relationships, which you realize you've been skimming on, and invest in them more, and build them up. And maybe for some of you, it's been a teachable moment to remind you what matters most in this life. I don't know whether you've noticed, because I certainly have, that until storms hit, we often live with a sense of delusional inadequacy. In other words, we live that we think we've got it all together, and that we're really strong and tough, and that nothing can bring us down. Actually, storms humble us, and help us realize that there are many things in your life, and in my life, and in this world's life, that we cannot control. C.S. Lewis writes about this in The Problem of Pain. He says this, God who has made us knows what we are and that our happiness lies in him. Yet we will not seek him as long as he leaves us any other resort where it can even plausibly look for. That's the happiness. Well, what we call our own life remains agreeable We will not surrender it to him. What then can God do in our interest but to make our own life less agreeable to us and take away the plausible sources of false happiness? Friends, perhaps COVID-19 has caused your life to be less agreeable. 
If so, consider then what David said. He says this, Psalm 119 verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Here's another thought in Psalm 119 verse 71, a few verses down. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. So David here is saying that God used the storms in his life to bring him back to a relationship with God. Before this happened, it was so easy to let other things crowd God out. Maybe it was the busyness of work, excessive commitments to sport or um, other enjoyments, even sometimes family. Perhaps we even get so comfortable with our faith that our faith gets pushed to the edges of our life that we maybe visit once a week. Then the God who desires and should be the center of our life is barely on the scene of our life. But if we're sensitive now to what God is wanting to do in our lives, we'll discover what David discovered. That before the storm, we went astray. But now we have an opportunity to come back into fellowship with God through his word and through prayer. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So through the storms in life, Jesus reminds us of our own human vulnerability. He reminds us of our own emptiness and our total dependence upon him. And Jesus teaches us through the storms to focus on God with astonishing reverence and not to fear the storm. See the different focus? Number six. Oh, now we want to look at the product of the storms in our lives. The product of storms in our lives. Mark 4 verse 40. But he, Jesus, said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it? that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, I noticed, maybe you did too, that Jesus was a lot more gentle with the disciples than he was with the elements. Nevertheless, Jesus asked two penetrating questions. Number one, why are you afraid? Why are you so fearful? That's in 440. And he's suggesting that they had been behaving unreasonably. Now, in the normal sense, in the natural sense, they had every reason to fear. And that's because unbelief breeds fear, while belief breeds confidence. Secondly, then he said, do you still have no faith? Now, this suggests that they had neglected to account for the presence of God with them. They had failed that test because they had not yet come to terms with Jesus' identity. Essentially, Jesus was saying here, Why are you afraid? And do you not yet trust God, whose power I hold? Now, this reminds me, of a story in 1 Kings where the prophet Elijah was challenging the false prophets of Baal to a duel of faith on the top of Mount Carmel. 
Some of you will be there next year when we go to the top of Mount Carmel. And these guys have been at it from morning till about noontime. And the prophets of Baal were there calling upon their gods needlessly to send down fire and consume the sacrifice. And then Elijah starts to mock them with some biting sarcasm. And you can find this in 1 Kings 18.27. And it says this, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud! For he is God, he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. Now, it's worth considering that the disciples apparently assumed that Jesus was just as indifferent to their pickle. So they cried, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Now, Elijah's suggestion that Baal might have been asleep was exactly the same sentiment that they were leveling at Jesus. You are snoozing, Jesus, whilst we are drowning. Please, wake up! There may be some fear that is dominating your mind. Friend, it will only grow if you fail to trust God. But he is not sleeping, but he's in you and knows every thought that's in your mind. And Jesus sees those storms as part of his method of forming Christ-like character in you, part of the discipleship process. He knows that a storm may be the very thing that wakens you and me into a deeper faith in him. Mark 4.41 on your outline says this, They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, ironically, after seeing Jesus' power demonstrated, the disciples became even more afraid. In fact, some versions say terrified than they were battling the wind and the waves. Mark's account describes the kind of perspective and respectful awe that people have when they experience the manifestation of God's presence. Now, the disciples' rhetorical question reveals their need for growth. They'd already learned so much of being with Jesus over three years, but the intellectual and the spiritual journey had just begun. Matthew tells us this in Matthew 8, 27. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? (laughs) Notice it doesn't say what kind of God is this because it was still so wrapped up and focused in his humanity. And that's a problem. Even though they were beginning to realize that he was something more than flesh and blood, they never imagined that Jesus had actually created the Sea of Galilee, and that the winds and the waters were his to do with as he wanted. See, the disciples now, notice the change, were no longer worried about drowning. Now they were in awe of Jesus, and they'd had a a new revelation of his power. See, debilitating fears were being replaced with an empowering fear of God. Lastly, let's take a look at the promises in the storms of our lives that God gives to us. Now, most of us are probably familiar with this story if we read God's word regularly. 
Here are a few takeaways that you and I can use to help us as we grapple with this storm and then the storms ahead. Number one is God's word alerts us, and we were talking about this in our small group the other day, it alerts us to expect stormy seas. See, the New Testament is peppered with warnings to expect stormy seas that we will face as followers of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this, Clearly, can it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds? It's not when you get one trial, it's multiple of various kinds. Then Peter writes a little further down in 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be knocked off your perch. Don't let it unsettle you at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to what? Test you as though something strange were happening to you. Then he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So what do we learn? Storms and life go together. And there's no place on earth where we can be completely free from trauma or tension or trouble. Now, what Job said was spot on. Look what he says in Job 14.1. Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. See, The attitude of steering clear of all turmoil is actually not reality. It's fantasy. And our need, therefore, is to learn the secret of enduring without sinking, standing strong without collapsing. Now, Jesus gave us the key to surviving storms in a passage of Scripture which has been indelibly etched on my mind since I was a teenager. It's a vivid picture of two houses with two foundations. And you'll find this in Matthew 7:25. The first house is built on sand, and the second one is built on rock. The one built on sand represents people who hear God's word, but they don't put it into practice. There's absolutely no application. It goes in one ear and clean out the other. The second one, the second house, is built on an immovable bedrock. And this person applies the unchanging truth of God's word as the storms rage and puts God's word into practice. So as the storm rages, the first house, I'm saying, it just washes out and it collapses. The other house built on the bedrock of Jesus and his word, it stands firm. Now I've seen this truth vividly demonstrated by people who put their trust in God and they're able to withstand every stormy assault because their lives are built on a foundation that can never be moved. So, God's word alerts us to expect storms. Secondly, God's word announces that the Saviour is on board. Now the disciples are at that stage where they're too inexperienced with Jesus to have faith devoid of fear. And perhaps you are the same way. That, yep, oh yeah, I identify with Christ, but you have no assurance as the storm clouds start to gather around. Well, if that's you, take a note of this uh, this verse. Hebrews 12, 13. Take a note of this verse. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money 
and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Also, Matthew 28 and verse 20 says this, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, here it is, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, friends, those are certain promises given to you as a Christian. That he, actually, he is with you is the most certain fact of your entire life and will never change. What is uncertain is your grasp of that fact and your ability to trust and build your house upon that truth, God's word. Thirdly, God's word affirms that faith drives out fear. Now, when the terrified disciples woke in the midst of the storm, Jesus asked them two critical questions. One, why are you so afraid? And that echoes in Psalm 56 verse 3, where the psalmist says, why am I afraid? I put my trust in you. That was the whole point of that question. Why are you afraid if you put your trust in me? And number two, the second question Jesus asked is, how is it that you still have no faith? And Isaiah 12, 2 gets at this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song and he's become my salvation. What a great verse. So when the disciples finally woke up to who Jesus was, it ratcheted up their faith. Now finally, God's word assures us of a safe landing. Notice what Jesus said to the disciples as they began their journey. It's easy to miss this. Mark 4.35 On that same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, let's go to the end of the day in Mark 5.31. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. Now, God's word assures us, friends, of a safe landing. Jesus had said, hey, let us cross to the other side. And therefore, because he said it, you will reach it. Now, could there be a storm on the journey, on the way? Well, based on God's word, almost certainly. Would it always be comfortable going in the direction God leads you? Probably not. In fact, most of the time not. Would it be convenient? No. Now, let me be, let's reflect on this journey. May you have to deal with seasickness along the journey. Oh yeah. You may have to deal with that, but you won't drown because you're going to make it. So, we will get through the storms in our lives and nothing will happen to you or I that will separate us from the love of Jesus. He'll always be with you. Now, as we conclude, I want to ask you, is Jesus in your boat? Or better, is Jesus in your life? See, the disciples wouldn't have made it without the presence of Jesus. And I've noticed how God can use a storm to get your attention and my attention, to help you understand how desperately you and I need God. Because only God is worthy of your complete trust in such an uncertain world. So let me ask you, is Jesus in your boat? Or in other words, have you ever accepted and invited him into your life as your personal saviour? Today, I want to ask you to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Into the storms 
and into the troubles that you are going through right now. Into all of your questions about the jobs and the money and the food and the uncertainty of the future and all the rest of it. And here's how you do that. You simply pray a prayer. And through prayer, you make that invitation clear to Jesus that you want him in your life. So let me lead you in that prayer. Why don't you pray after me? Dear God, I need your presence in my life. Jesus Christ, I need you to be my Lord and Savior. In the midst of all this uncertainty and confusion about the future, I invite you, Jesus, to be the captain of my soul. I invite you, Jesus, to become my Savior and my Lord and to take your position on the throne of my life. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and make me a brand new person. Forgive me of my sin and I want to serve you from this day going forward. Father, I want to thank you that wherever that prayer is prayed, that you have heard and you will answer it because your word says that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Thank you, Father, for those who have prayed that prayer and give them the courage to follow through on what they have just done. May this, Lord, be a really deep-seated decision, not just a whim, that will change their lives forever. Now we give you the praise and the glory from this time forward and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. If you made that decision to put your trust in Christ today, please let us know that you've made that decision. Just drop us an email to info at newhope.net.nz and we'll send you some material to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. My prayer for you is that you'll trust God in the midst of the storm and find what we've always found, that God is sufficient, that he loves us with an incredible love and that we'll get through the storm with God's help. God bless you.